This episode of Zero Cafe is made possible by our partners Convert.com, Online Dialogue, Content Square, Sidespect, Online Influence Institute and VWO. Today I talk with Chad Sanderson, who is the head of product for the data platform team at Convoy, where he manages Convoy's internal experimentation and machine learning platform, along with data warehousing, streaming and discovery tools. We're talking about why they build their own experimentation tool. Uh, we talk about uh, how they are managing their internal experimentation culture and how to run offline experiments. In case you missed it, in the previous episode, we spoke with Tim Ash about his new book, Unleash Your Primal Brain. You can listen to that episode on the Zero Cafe website or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2. Right now I'm working at a company called Convoy. Um, they're a digital freight brokerage. I can talk a little bit more about them later, but as for me, uh, I'm running their data platform team. So data platform is uh, sort of a multidisciplinary uh, data related um, pod space, which includes like our data warehouse, all of our data infrastructure tooling, data visualization, our machine learning platform, and then also our experimentation team, which uh, we've not only built a center of excellence there, but we've also built a tool from the ground up. Before this, I was at Microsoft, where I helped run their experimentation platform, along with Ronnie Kohavi, sort of the grandfather of A-B testing. And then uh, prior to that, I was at Sephora and Subway doing very similar things. Yeah. And you're now at uh, Convoy for roughly one year? About a year. Um, and what was the, what was the status of Zero at Convoy before you started? Yeah, I mean, they uh, Convoy was very um, they love testing. Uh, in fact, part of our WBR, which is our weekly business review, where all the leadership sits down and looks at key metrics and how they're performing, uh, most of those actually have to be validated by an A/B test. So experimentation is a pretty deep part of the culture. I think some of the other aspects of CRO that you and I are familiar with haven't gotten quite as deep yet, especially on the marketing side, but on the product side, they're, they're doing a pretty good job. Okay, nice. And um, yeah, one of the topics we want to, to talk upon, uh, uh, touch upon to today is um, building your own experimentation platform. Yeah. Um, so was it already done when you started that convoy or? We had a pretty rough tool. It did a few things relatively well. Um, it did a few things very, very poorly. So over the last year, we've <laughs> put a lot of time and effort and energy into uh, actually making it serviceable to most of our customers. Yeah. So, yeah. so many people might now be wondering why <laughs> there's there's right. so many options on the market. Why would you build your own uh, your own A/B testing platform? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. It's also usually the first one I always get yeah. when I bring up that we've built something. Um, the main reason is that when we were essentially deciding what direction we wanted to take the team, like all of Convoy as a whole, um, we sat down and we thought about the problems that we had specific to our business and what our problems were probably going to be in the future, and then looked at the market of A-B testing tools and says, um, do any of these actually satisfy those problems to a degree that, that we would feel comfortable with and, and happy with? And our, our answer to that question was no. 
And there were a few specific, uh, very, very specific problems that we absolutely needed um, solved. So for example, uh, we needed the ability to tie all of our experiments back to metrics like margin and profit and sometimes very algorithmically complex metrics that are all calculated offline. And at the time, um, the tools that we saw couldn't support that. We also needed a lot more complex statistical test designs than a t-test. We Convoy has a super small business. We only have around 50,000 um, customers or truckers that we work with uh, and a much smaller number of shippers, like you know around 100 or maybe even less. Um, so if you don't have a huge sample size, then your test design has to be uh, relatively complex. It has to do a lot of interesting things. And we needed a tool that could support a pretty wide degree of complexity. And we just didn't see that out there. Yeah. So in that sense, it's, it's more like a B2B, uh, smaller business case uh, that, that, might be, uh, that it might be helpful to build your own tool. But then again, you, you still need to have the luxury of being able to build it. So do you have developers in-house? Is it something you outsource? How, how did that happen? Yeah, we have developers in-house. So there are four, right now, there are four engineers uh, that are working on the experimentation platform. I think for the first year or so, there was two. I didn't join as a product lead until last year. So now we have uh, four engineers. There's one engineering manager that sort of manages everybody across all of data platform and then and then myself to sort of help out with vision and direction yeah and and i i almost hear our listeners <laughs> through the channels screaming but how did you build a business case for this <laughs> some people already this i mean hiring four people to build your experimentation platform uh, that sounds way more expensive uh, than, um, than just, I don't know, uh, using a random, uh, AB testing tool, yeah. maybe, maybe even the most expensive one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good point. Uh, I think it probably is. Um, I think, so the, like I sort of mentioned, when we sort of did our cost benefit analysis, the question that we asked is if we paid, uh, you know, and I, and I don't know off the top of my head, how much like, uh, A-B testing, third-party A-B testing tools cost these days, but we'll, we'll just throw out a number and say like $300, $300,000. So, okay, $300,000, that's basically at startup costs, like maybe one and a half developers. Uh, maybe you can even make the case for one if it's a pretty senior developer. Um, if we go with a tool that doesn't allow us to do the things that we functionally need it to do, where are we going to lose experimentation? Like where are we not gonna be able to, to do tests? Well, no. we're actually not gonna be able to do tests on the vast majority of our machine learning models. And machine learning is the essence of Convoy. So, and just no. take a step back to sort of explain what, what Convoy is, because this may make more sense. Convoy is a digital freight brokerage. And that means that when a, a shipper has freight that they want to move between two points on a map, usually they don't go directly to the trucker that's going to be carrying that freight. There's just so many things that could go wrong. You know, the carrier might have a family emergency, and then all of a sudden you have this critical load that's just sitting there, and now there's, and now there's no backup. So a broker sits in between the shipper and the trucker, and as freight comes in, they're the ones responsible for making sure it's paired up with the the right, um, most uh, economic person to, to take that load. Convoy has entered the space and said, we wanna try to do as much of that matching as we can with data science. 
and with machine learning and algorithms. So ML is literally the core of the business. And if we weren't able to run experiments on ML in the way that we wanted, why even get a testing tool, right? Like we could, we could yeah. pay the money to optimize our app a little bit, but the impact that we see from doing that, like just to, to throw out sort of a relative number, you know, we might see a couple hundred thousand dollars in improvement from UX changes. We might see several hundred million dollars in improvement from changing our, uh, experimenting on our algorithms. So that yeah. was, the, that was a trade-off we have to make. Like if, 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 if paying the money for the developer allows us to do experimentation on this hugely critical functionality, it was actually more than justified. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in, so in that sense, it sounds like a, a relatively easy business case. I mean, <laughs> the existing platforms don't even do what you want them to do and don't apply to your business. So, but, uh, was it a completely, uh, a complete start from, from scratch or were there some things in the machine learning community and the testing community out there that you could yeah, like use or reuse, uh, anything open source? Um, we didn't open source anything. There's a few things. There are some things that are open source that you could reuse if you wanted to take a less expensive route than we did. Um, uh, at least there's some stuff now. I don't know if, if back then when the platform first started, which was actually a couple years ago, um, that, uh, there was anything, anything of any good out there. Really the, the most complicated piece from an engineering perspective, uh, that we needed to think about was assignment. And that's the process of, um, when a randomization entity it could be a user in our case, we like to randomize on shipments and sort of lanes, which is like from Seattle to San Francisco, essentially a distance between two points. Yeah. Um, whenever that, whenever that unit, that new entity is available to have a test run on it, you have to randomize them. And that seems like something that you could do relatively easily by flipping a coin, uh, but it's actually not that easy. There's a lot that you have to think about when it comes to scale. If you get, you know, a million requests to randomize in the span of a second, which can happen if you're, you know, if there's like a bug or something like that, you don't want the whole business to fall down. Um, if you're dialing traffic up and down, you don't want people to get re-randomized every single time. So that was that was an early investment that we had to make um, that didn't really have an open source solution. Yeah, that was probably the biggest one. Yeah. Were there big, big uh, changes uh, this year in all those algorithms uh, that had to change based on all the things happening in the world? Um, yeah, there were, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the freight market in general is super volatile and it's very, very sensitive to, especially sensitive to things like COVID, but even seasonality, we see freight, um, the margin that we're making on any particular shipment will, you know, really fluctuate wildly throughout the year. So when COVID hit, we saw some of the biggest swings that we've ever seen. Um, yeah. and we had to really think about how we could tune our models more for stability. So during that time, experimentation was actually super, super critical. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and how do you get everyone uh, in the company? I can imagine this, this is quite um, quite a complex matter that, that you're trying to optimize for. It's, it's machine learning. Uh, on top of that, there's a lot of experimentation. How do you get the company, uh, how do you get buy-in from, from everyone in the company to, to embrace this? Mm-hmm. Uh, to embrace experimentation just in general. Yeah. 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 The, the way that I've found a lot of success is by focusing on measurement and mm -hmm. by asking the question, 
if you're making some change, whatever that change is, it could be a, a web change. It could be a change that's happening offline. It could be a change to a model. It could be a strategy process change, right? Um, how do you actually know that the thing that you did worked? Like, how do you know for sure? How do you prove it? So, so basically you're asking questions to make people insecure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Make, make, make how do you them, know? Make them insecure, but also oftentimes most people who run these teams are very smart, right? Like they know what they're doing. They, they know that they probably can't measure it very well. And yeah. when you, when the perspective that you come at them with is, experimentation is a solution to a measurement problem that you have. And because what their job is to do is to make the company a whole bunch of money, prove it, and then increase their headcount. If I can go to you and say, I can help you prove it, meaning I can help your team get funded better, then that's a much easier way to get adopted than like, you know, here's 10 test ideas that you can run that I think might make you money, but you have to give me resources for that. Yeah. And in that sense, do you feel like that's uh, a culture of uh, innovation and a culture of experimentation? Is that similar or? Culture of innovation and experimentation are very similar. I think it's slightly different. I think that a culture of experimentation is almost like saying a culture of science, meaning when we are making a claim about the world, can we point to some evidence, usually statistical evidence that backs up our claims? Yeah. A culture of evidence, a culture of uh, innovation isn't quite the same as that, but it's closer to, are we consistently taking risks? Are we taking chances? Are we doing things that, you know, otherwise uh, people in our position would be scared to do? And then or can we combine the two to then measure those uh, risk-taking opportunities with statistics? Okay. And this is also something that, that your platform tries to enable? within the company or mm -hmm. purely, purely for running the experiment and then it's done or? Uh, I mean, for, for our platform, we focus pretty much on, well, I mean, that's, that's not exactly true. So we, we do focus uh, pretty strongly on experimentation, but our platform is, was designed to be super flexible. So the idea is um, any type of statistical model you want to use, you can use it. Any okay. type of metric you want to use, you can, you can do that. And you can do it all basically, for the most part, out of the box. Uh, any type of dimension you have, you can do that. You, so you could slice it by anything. Um, so the practical effect of that that we've seen is that people will use the tool to do some really crazy stuff and to test, uh, I'll say, innovative things that most people using a third-party platform maybe maybe wouldn't test. So as an example, um, we have this concept at Convoy of pilots, where a pilot is just something that you you just do. You turn it on, and then you have to have some way of like measuring it over time. So um, if you're on the ops team, for example, and you're trying to build something that maybe makes the ops team slightly more efficient or maybe automate some of the emails that they get. That's not really something that you can A-B test. You know, you don't want 50% of your ops team to have to open emails and they have a, a, a standard operating procedure and it doesn't match with the rest of the ops team. So they just turn it on. And what we've been seeing is this move to using an experimentation platform to start measuring uh, these types of changes as well. SiteSpect offers a worldwide unique A-B testing, personalization and product recommendation solution. SiteSpect works service-side without any tags or scripts, which guarantees an optimal performance. 
The side spec solution eliminates delays and the chance of any flickering effects, and this approach also ensures that the current and future browser security rules like ITP and ETP don't make an impact on your A-B testing and personalizations. For more info, visit sidespect.com. What kind of uh, KPIs are you guys optimizing for? So if you have all these different uh, teams doing the experimentation, are they optimizing for the same thing ultimately or? Um, no, uh, most teams are, most teams have a specific set of metrics that they're accountable to every quarter, okay. uh, every half year. This is like the, you know, OKR type of approach. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, we do have what we call core metrics. So these are things that the entire business really cares about. And yeah. we haven't implemented this yet, but what we're trying to move to is any of those core metrics that can be run on an experiment. So like variable cost per shipment is something that we like to think about. Are we reducing or increasing the amount of variable cost every time we, you know, a new shipment sort of comes in on our platform? That's a really important metric to the company. And if somebody's running a shipment level experiment, then what our platform can do is automatically track that metric, whether or not the team actually wanted to include it. Okay, clear. And then they pick the statistical model themselves, uh, you say? And of course, it's, it's nice right. to have that, uh, that's great to have that flexibility, but it also puts a lot of responsibility in the, in the person designing the experiment, of course. So yeah. how do you make sure that people, uh, um, yeah, they, they pick the right uh, statistical model? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, for the most part at Convoy, our experiments are designed by data scientists. So these are generally not um, people who are like encountering experimentation for the very first time. Uh, they usually have a pretty good concept of this is the statistical technique that I want to use that makes the most sense for my use case. And we're just giving them a forum to select that. Now, I, I do think something that we should probably do as the future goes on, um, because we do want to make experimentation more accessible to everybody, is probably have a set of uh, predefined templates. Say, okay, if you want to do an offline experiment and here's some criteria that you have to meet, then you just run this one. If you want to do an online experiment and it's a relatively simple A-B test on the internet, then you can just use a T-test and we sort of bundle all that stuff together. Yeah. So uh, are you already applying some machine learning techniques on the experimentation platform itself <laughs> to, no. to help the experimenters? Or <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. But that is probably going to be our, uh, some of our goals for the platform in 2021. And yeah. really, that's, uh, it, that's less about being smart right now, like being really, really smart about like, which test wins and which loses and these types of things. And more about, can we automate some of the work that our analysts and data scientists are doing um, and allow a machine to take over uh, in places where a human being doing all this digging and segmentation to find interesting things is, is pretty unreasonable. Yeah, and that's, that's uh, I mean, a lot of data scientists and uh, a lot of web analysts are often sadly used to create reports right, right yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not that's not something you should uh you should be doing actually you should automate all those things and then when automation goes wrong sure you step in <laughs> but that's not right. something that the data scientist uh, should be doing yeah it's a waste of time right like they're they're, they're the, the data science uh best resource is their brain 
And it's the critical thinking part that's important and valuable. It's not like the, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, munging the data, putting it to, into, into the right format, finding out leaders like a, and a, a machine can do all of that stuff. Yeah. Don't, don't waste that brain on, on creating uh, PowerPoints. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so when are you going to spin off the, the product and uh, <laughs> create an, your own A-B testing uh, company? <laughs> Probably never. <laughs> you know, like there, honestly, there are some great tools out there. I would not envy anybody in the A/B testing space. Um, I mean, I think you saw Optimizely got acquired. I yep. don't remember how long ago. Re pretty recently, like a couple weeks ago now. Yeah, right? yeah, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. EpiServer. Yeah, Optimizely got acquired, and they were kind of the golden boys of this space. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just wouldn't want to. There's there's a there's a lot of competitors that do a lot of uh, really interesting things, and yeah. uh, I'm I don't know if I would be interested in going head to head with any of them. <laughs> exactly, but it, but it does sound like there's a, there's a big gap in the market, right? For uh, for B two B companies um, that that are open to experimentation, uh, that open to learning, uh, but don't have the 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 traffic on their website maybe to do it. Uh, but can you can you um, Talk to those companies a bit. What are the things that you can experiment on? How, how can you be creative in that? Maybe you don't have enough traffic on your website, but what are the things that you can experiment on? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm sure you know this, but there's a there's a uh, inverse correlation with the amount of traffic you have and the size of the impact that you need to see before you can detect something. Uh, Convoy has that same problem. And there's really no statistical algorithm that can ever sort of change that like fundamental issue. So that plays a really big effect on how we do experimentation. Instead of looking at things like, well, let's optimize the UX flow. Let's, you know, change a button color here or there, maybe try changing some copy. Um, the only things that we look at are big changes, which kind of flies in the face of typical advice, you know, like make, make an incremental change and then you'll be able to prove that this is the real thing. And uh, this is what caused the change, and then you can increment from there. I actually think that for a lot of a, a lot of companies, that's a really bad way of testing, because incrementality is not going to deliver very many business results. So um, instead, really taking a long time to think about your customer, thinking about what are the major new features and and offerings that we can provide, doing some deep user research and pre-testing on that. And then having a really strong opinion on, I believe that this thing is going to be a giant improvement for the company. And then using experimentation as a validation tool for all of that research you've done. Um, that's sort of the process I would, I would suggest to a B2B. The last thing I'll say about that is, I, I, what a lot of people actually don't know is that a lot of these um, techniques, like take this sort of incremental approach to experimentation. It started at massive companies like Google and Microsoft. So for them, it makes sense, right? Like when you have billions and billions of, of users that are coming to your site every day, the, the amount of change, that, the, the amount of impact that you can detect is like extremely small and you can detect it in a couple of days. So it actually makes total sense for them um, to, to make those incremental changes because they can see them all and they can see them really quickly. But for everybody else, it's kind of insane advice, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, for, for all the talks that I have with uh, people in Shiro, the most creative things come from people that 
that don't have that amount of traffic. <laughs> I mean, the, the amount of traffic, uh, if you have a lot of traffic, it basically makes you lazy. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. and it it it, it hampers your uh, your creativity. Uh, it's, it's not great for your innovation, and um, and usually, uh, and th- those bigger things are also, well, for me at least, they're more fun to work on. Yeah, I right? I agree. Um, all we've seen some really cool stuff in Convoy where, like, I'm constantly amazed at some of the the, the tests that are coming out. One that I thought was really, really cool um, is we have, a, we have a, a process called an RFP that we go through with our, our partners, our shipper partners, where we essentially bid on the, um, on the shipments that they have available. And we, have a, we had a team that started doing experimentation on those bids. So when they would come in from a big shipper, we would randomize the response that we gave. So we would have some prediction of like, this is what we think this particular shipment is going to cost. When we put it on the market, we would uh, supply a premium to some of them, a discount to some of them, and then like an Uber premium to some of them and send those back and then and do an experiment there. And that was awesome and actually like extremely, extremely impactful. And it's just a, a creative thing that you have to do exactly as you said, when you don't have a lot of budget to you know build some like amazing, really complex system. Yeah, exactly. Do you guys also do uh, offline testing? We do. Yeah, we do. So... Do you have some examples? Um, yeah, pretty much all of our examples from... So we've had, we actually have a, a, an internal tool that we call Kingpin. And Kingpin is essentially an ops. It's a platform for the operations team. So that they can see you know, when are details about all the shipments and when they're arriving and when the orders are going out and whether they're on time or not and things like that. And uh, one of the, the issues there is that the team is, who, who sort of manages those tools are constantly trying to uh, make improvements to them so that they can make our operations team more efficient. But sort of like I mentioned before, if you make a change to that, uh, to that platform, then you need to actually make it for all, the entire operations team. Because ops team members, not only do they communicate with each other really, really closely, but You'll need to know, for example, if somebody took a particular action on a shipment and then it went back into the system and then it came back and now an ops personnel has to take another action, you definitely don't want to run an experiment where some things are visible and other things are invisible. It will just confuse ops people if the, if the SOPs are, are, are pretty significantly different. And you're sitting right next to somebody and you're looking at a screen and you need help with something and you look over and their screen is something different because they're getting a different version of that. Um, so these are the types of offline experiments where we really have to think more like a lawmaker. So uh, lawmakers uh, running experiments on laws is actually quite common where somebody will say, we have created a law and we are going to ship it in one part of the country for a certain period of time, see what the effect is, and then roll it out everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is an experiment, and that is a type of experimentation that we, we try to do relatively frequently. Yeah, what, what, what are the main differences when, you, when you're going to set up an offline, uh, still digital, but offline <laughs> experiment, not web experiment versus a web experiment? Um, I would say the, the big differences are typically you can't control your... Uh, you can't control your randomization as much, right? When you're online, you have a very tight control over which user gets to see which thing. And in the real world, that may not always be the case. So you have to come up with creative ways to uh, bucket your control and treatment. 
The example I gave a second ago, what we did was we put uh, everybody before the time that we launched the experiment into the control and everybody after we launched the experiment into the treatment. And then we used the time that the feature launched as sort of the dividing line between those two things. And then we had our two buckets and we could actually compare. And there's some other mechanisms that, that you could use to take away bias and, and this type of stuff. But like just that level of thinking is really important. And there actually are, are times when you can do randomization offline. So when I, when I used to work at Subway, um, we would very, very frequently roll out new sandwiches and new features to a trial population. And you just have to be specific and very careful about which stores you roll out to. Um, often because Subway is a, is a franchisee restaurant, like you have, you know, it's franchisee owned. Yep. There's no, no sort of ownership on the Subway side. So that means in order to, to trial a new sandwich, you have to opt in. And the people who are opting in are obviously not necessarily the same stores as the one who are not opting in. So like those are the types of things that you have to think about when you're experimenting offline. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So some fun challenges there uh, if you, if you do that. And um, do you also do uh, experiments that are not even digital or uh, do, you, oh, yeah. uh, do you like it? Yeah, we, haven't, we haven't done too many of those at Convoy. Um, that is something I'm very familiar with. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, they're not e-commerce, but just I guess regular commerce, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> those still exist, yeah. Those still exist. But in anyone, in any place where you have an offline store, so that was definitely the case with Sephora, and it was also the case with, with Subway, there was a, a pretty good amount of totally offline experimentation where we had almost no insight from the digital perspective what was going on and at subway in particular they experimented on everything they would experiment on like opening times and closing times and staffing and how they arranged uh the actual ingredients to to build the sandwich and um things that they tried to to shorten the lines or potentially make the lines longer, all, all types of stuff like, they, like, like that. They, they ran experiments. And really running the experiment is relatively trivial um, if you're able to get your randomization right. So if you're able to figure out that, how do we bucket control and treatment in a way that's trustworthy, um, there's yeah. a ton of stuff that you can, you can do after that. Yeah. And, and for all these experiments, and also at uh, uh, offline and, and uh, online, um, where do you guys get your, yeah, basically your, well, inspiration, it sounds a bit random, but uh, where do the ideas for these uh, experiments come from? Do you do a lot of user research or those surveys? Or I can, I can imagine that's also a bit harder to do when you don't have the numbers. Yeah, um, it's... It's yeah, I, it is. It can be a more certainly more challenging. I think the the good thing about these types of offline experiments is that your customers are definitely a little bit more approachable in the sense of you have some insight into their day to day activities that perhaps extend beyond the web, right? Yeah. The the, ch the challenge in digital is like. I have no idea who that person is that just bought something. Yeah, it can be anyone. And in B2B, uh, by definition, you have a business relationship <laughs> with yeah. them. So you know, you basically know who your audience is. Yeah, you know who your audience is. Um, hopefully, if you've built up a pretty good rapport with them, then you can, it's easy, easy to reach out to them, them yeah. and talk to them and they're friendly. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully.
but that's uh, so that's that's basically the main way uh, you guys get get input for experiments, or? Yeah, I, I think I think user research and uh, a lot of direct talking to customers is a lot of where that comes from. I think mm -hmm. there are certainly places that uh, are, are more uh, analytical. So, for example, something that I know the operations team uh, thinks about relatively frequently is emails. And when you're in ops, you have to respond to a lot of emails, emails coming in from shippers, emails coming in from truckers. Um, and if you build instrumentation into your platform or you're using a third party service that is able to collect, collect and track all these emails for you, then you can see where people are spending their time. And if you have some type of categorization mechanism, you can see the specific type of emails uh, that they spend a long time replying back to. And, when are they getting replied back to and sort of what's the, the delta between when the email is received and when it's responded to, right? Like you have all this, all this data and, and that's another sort of inspiration point, obviously not just emails, but any other place where you're able to capture sort of the behavior of uh, whatever your customer is. Uh, that's another place that, that we've seen experiment inspiration come from. In the past year, marketing budgets have suffered and the share for A-B testing has been impacted too. If you want to keep testing to enterprise standards, but save 80% on your annual contract, you can consider Convert.com. With their latest release, you can take advantage of full stack and hybrid features, strong privacy compliance, no blink, and enterprise grade security. Feel good about a smart business decision, invest what you save back into your zero program. Check it out at Convert.com. And uh, now looking back, you, you've worked for Convoy for a year. What's your, what's your second year going to be like? What are you going to focus on? Yeah. Um, so our first year, well, my first year at Convoy was really about making the entire experimentation funnel, I guess you could call it, uh, mm -hmm. really simple, really usable, really straightforward. So when I was there, it was possible to deploy an experiment, but analysis was pretty challenging we didn't really have this bring your own algorithm component that's something new that we added um we didn't have the ability to automate a workflow which is another really big thing that's basically being able to say i want to do something really interesting so maybe i want to start my experiment at one percent traffic i want to create a bunch of monitors that check whether or not some metrics are failing and then if the answer is if everything looks good then I want to roll that up to 5%, check the monitors again, then roll it up to 50% and start computing a, a totally different set of metrics. Maybe for the first few days, I only want to look at those super short-term metrics that are really good indicators of whether or not it's an experiment failing. And then after that, I want to start looking at more longer-term metrics. And, and there, there is a cost component there. A lot of people don't see that because that's abstracted away by the AB testing company. But when you're doing these large scale computations of data that really in essence, that's, that's what you're paying for. Um, you're, you're paying for like all these joins across, you know, hundreds of thousands or hundreds of millions of data points. Um, so there, there is a cost component there that we try to affect positively. So that was 2020 and 2021 is more about analysis. So we've solved most of that problem. And now it's going to be, how do we get data scientists out of the business of spending so much time doing debugging and, you know, like doing this type of segment discovery. So what segment actually performed well and what didn't and trying to automate as, as much of that as we can. Okay. And uh, uh, where do you think you stand in a year? 
I, I, yeah, I, I think we're in a pretty good place. Um, I think end of the year, um, I think most of the big analytical insight automation work is done. And I think the next big challenge is how do we start meaningfully reducing the time that it takes to run experiments? Like that's going to be my big sort of post 2021 goal is with small sample sizes, how can we, how can we cut the runtime before you, you can make a decision by like 50%. Okay. Are there other uh, KPIs that you're looking for, for the experimentation program itself? Uh, we, we look at a few things. The, the big goal for us right now is, is templatization. So how many experiments get run that are templatized? At one point, we did have like pure numbers of experiments. It's still something that we track and we report on, but yeah. it's not sort of our key goal anymore. And the reason we're focusing on templatization is we can say that when someone runs an experiment that was essentially pre-built, they're just changing the content. There's a lot of time savings happening. You know, a yeah. data scientist doesn't have to select the metrics. They don't have to choose the algorithm. They don't have to set the sample size or do the workflow. Um, so there's like several hours to more than a day of savings there. And we're just adding all that up. It's like a, a productivity enhancement for the business. Okay. But then almost by definition, those are not the most creative experiments, right? Because there's a te template for them or. No, no, no. They, so the, the template really only applies to the design, but the actual experiment itself is, is usually pretty open. So they can experiment on okay. anything, but you may want to say, for example, um, yeah, I'm doing some crazy new change, but there's actually a pattern for testing that type of crazy change. And I just want to use that like measurement pattern and that algorithmic pattern. Okay, fair enough. And um, well, you've been to um, um, podcasts before, you've been to uh, zero uh, events before, set on panels yeah. before. Uh, maybe you've touched on that uh, um, in, in the past uh, uh, hour already, but what do you think the insights, what are the in insights that you have based on uh, what you've done with zero uh, before that you don't see a lot of other zero zeros have? Oh, yeah. yeah, good question. Um, so I think, okay, so uh, there's a couple answers here. One thing <laughs> is, I think, and, and probably I contributed to this, honestly, but I think that people get too worked up about the statistics. Uh, I think they care too, way too much. Um, when, when you are running an experiment, the real question that you should ask from like a, what statistics do I use perspective? Shouldn't be like, which one performs the best in simulations or whatever it is. I mean, that's fine. But the question is, would a different algorithm have resulted in a different, a, a practically different result? And if the answer is no, and in the vast majority of cases, it is no, then it doesn't matter, right? Who cares? Yeah. It's, a, it's a waste of time to think about. Um, that's, that's one thing. Um, another thing, I, I think I already sort of talked about this incrementality thing that I really dislike before, but I think using, oh, oh, I got one. I have a good one, actually. So this is something we haven't really <laughs> talked about yet. But, um, the, a big, uh, I, I think something that CROs do, which is not great, is use the results of an experiment as a forecast for the future. So that's to say, yeah. you know, this experiment made $50,000 over the course of the test. 
and I ran it in two weeks. And so if I continue to run it for an additional full 50 weeks at hundred percent, then I should make, you know, 10 million or whatever the number is. Mm-hmm. That's not right. <laughs> and, 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 the, and the reason it's not right is because a statistical, the, the outcome of a statistical test, a p-value, um, is not predictive. It's actually backwards looking, right? It's, it's showing you this is what happened at some point in the past. It doesn't say anything about about what's going to happen next month or the month after that or or six yeah. months after that. I, I think or maybe hope <laughs> that a lot of CSO specialists do know this. But they are kind of forced, uh, almost uh, by by managers or of their uh, team or company or whatever, to do predictions to say, okay, wh- what 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 is the value that you've added as a zero specialist or zero team? Yeah, exactly. So, so what, what 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 are better ways for them to to do this? Yeah. So uh, I, if, think, if, if I, this think it. I think I think there's two there's sort of two philosophical perspectives that you could take, right? You could take the perspective of as a, as a experimentation team or as a CRO team, um, it's actually not our job to add a whole bunch of money bottom line to the business. That's like not what we're here for. What you could say is, what my real job is, is to go and think about really interesting things that we could be investing in, new products, new features, new whatever it is, and validate those offline. So validate those with our customers and validate those through user testing. And then experimentation just becomes a mechanism, like a guard, like a, basically a guardrail to say, is anything going wrong here? Right? So that's one way that you could use experimentation that's 100% valid. And I've actually seen quite a few businesses that are starting to think about A-B testing in this way when they don't have predictive capabilities. And the way as a team that you justify that is you say, well, listen, we actually caught 20 out of 30 things that were bad. Right. And we know that this this would have harmed the business in some meaningful way because we caught them in a parallel universe where we didn't have A-B testing. We would have deployed them. Right. So that means that you could say we know for a fact that this thing would have hurt us by ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars or whatever it is. And we don't know exactly what the pain would have been over a long period of time. But we know that it probably wouldn't have been ten or twenty thousand dollars. So we're actually saving the company money. And the more experiments that we do, the more money that we, we, we know we can save. Um, that's one perspective you could take. The other thing that you could do, if you really want to show ROI, is invest in a forecast and invest in a forecasting predictive metric. This is actually something that we've done at Convoy as well. Um, okay. And essentially what you do, and this does require some data science slash analyst effort, uh, so it's not cheap and it's not necessarily, certainly not free, but it could be cheap. I guess it depends on sort of, you know, who's on staff. But uh, essentially what you do is, is you can build some type of predictive model that takes in a set of short-term KPIs and looks at your data and looks at how those short-term KPIs influence longer-term KPIs. And you could say, based on how the market is fluctuating and based on the historical performance of our, our, performance of our tests over long periods of time, and based on how these metrics typically move together, we think that this experiment is going to deliver a 3% revenue uplift over six months, right? And then you'll st- you're still going to be wrong, but at least you're yeah. going to probably be a lot less wrong than if you're just <laughs> using a p-value as a forecast. Yeah, that's, that's great insight, I think. Thanks. Um, 
So a, a final thing I wanted to talk to you uh, about, uh, experiment.expert. Yes, yes. That's, that's the website that you've started? Yeah, yeah. So what is it? So this is new. Um, I was, you know, a few months ago, I realized that uh, I have talked to a lot of people in the space about experimentation. And mm -hmm. um, there's, I, I think in general, a lot of these problems around A-B testing are a lot more complex than sometimes people can think. Um, and learning about them from a high level is great. But when you actually go to implement, there's a lot of problems that stuff uh, breaks, stuff breaks <laughs> right? Stuff breaks. It, it doesn't work the way that we expect. We make a, you know, there's a, there's, I think, um, Luke W from Google made a post, um, this is a while ago, maybe over a year ago where he was kind of, uh, you know, taking, taking the stuff out of AB testing. He said, you know, these are the, these are the results that, uh, CROs say AB testing has delivered, but here's the actual sort of business trend. And they're in, in like diverging directions, you know? Um, and, and those, like, those are the types of things that happen, uh, cause there's, there's just a lot more complexity to this that people realize. So I started thinking since I've been in this complex space for a while and I've solved a lot of those challenges, it would be cool, uh, to provide some of that information back and to work with teams and potentially individuals and consultancies on like really going deep, mm -hmm. uh, theoretically and scientifically. So that's what that website is about. So people can hire you as a, as like a, a mentor or are you actually working with them or? I probably don't have the time to do the actual work. <laughs> I wish <laughs> that would be really fun, but yeah, as a mentor or sort of working through particular use cases or problems, whether it's like culture related or science related, uh, anything experimentation related is, is stuff that I love and would be willing to, and always uh, able to talk about. Awesome. So if people are interested in that, the, the link is in the, in the show notes of this uh, episode. Um, yeah, my final, my final question then, um, who should I invite for an upcoming Zero Cafe episode? Who's something, uh, who has something to tell about a topic that you think that's really interesting? Yeah, so I definitely think uh, Jeff Ferris. If you want another person from Convoy, Jeff Ferris would be somebody great to have. Um, Jeff is a economist. He uh, formerly was at Amazon and he was working with the experimentation team at Amazon for a really long time. And his yeah. specialty is in this type of uh, long-term prediction and uh, making okay. predictions uh, about the world and also in experiments. So there's some really, really cool stuff that he's done in the past. Uh, another person that I think would be really interesting to talk to, uh, I don't know if you've had Jonas on. Uh, Jonas... Oh, man, you know, his last name escapes me, but he's uh, building an A-B testing tool himself, formerly at Booking, and okay. taking a bit of a different approach to the A-B testing sort of thought process and mentality. Jonas mm -hmm. Alpha. Um, sorry, Jonas. <laughs> uh, but super, super smart guy. Great to talk to. Knows a lot about experimentation, A-B testing, and uh, just uh, a, a wellspring of, of knowledge. Um, cool. Well, if, if you can introduce yeah. me to both, then uh, that would be great. And then we'll invite them uh, for an upcoming episode. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Chad. Our time is up, unfortunately. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights. I think there are, there's a lot of knowledge in there that we can definitely use and hopefully apply uh, to our own uh, zero work. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, Guido. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
And this concludes Season 3, Episode 2 of the Shiro Cafe Podcast with Chad Sanderson. Make sure to check out the show notes on the Shiro Cafe website. Next episode, I talk with Eltine van der Veer. She's Head of Experience and Insights at Brain Engineers. And we're talking about why humanizing data, especially in these times of decreased human contact, is so important. Talk to you then, and always be optimizing. Will this work? Hmm, maybe not. Isn't that what we're all trying to figure out? With VWO, create and A-B test different variations of your website to continuously discover the best performing versions that improve conversions. Stop guessing. Start A-B testing with VWO today.